Well, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. We are continuing our sermon series entitled, Who We Are. And in this series, we're walking through the uh, mission statement and core values of this church family, uh, which really are a reflection of the deep doctrines and rich truths that we find in God's Word about His plan for His church. So far, we've looked at our mission statement and the core values of Scripture and worship And this morning we have the joy of looking into what God teaches us about his word on the core value of community. Uh, We define the core value of community like this. It's there in your your bulletin too if you want to glance there in the bottom left corner of that page. We uh, write it this way. Community is showing Jesus to one another through caring relationships, mutual accountability, and loving acts of service. And so the aim of the sermon is going to be to help us understand some of what God says about Christian community. It's not going to be exhaustive. Of course, that would be a sermon series in and of itself. But our aim this morning is going to be to help us understand more of what God has in store for us about the topic of Christian community. Our plan today is I'm going to try to define community to make sure we're all thinking and talking about the same thing. And then we're going to discover what the foundation of Christian community is. And then we're going to finish up with just some uh, kind of exploring some applications, some questions we can ask as a, as a church family as we set out to engage in Christian community together. So let's start with this. What is community? I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word community. The new Oxford American Dictionary gives different definitions for it. Here's a, here's a sampling of them. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Number two, a group of people living together in one place, especially one practicing common ownership, or a particular area or place considered together with its inhabitants, so for like a rural community, kind of that idea. What I find interesting about those definitions of community is the embodied nature of community that is in those definitions. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. In world history, community has included an in-person experience with each other, embodied groups in contrast with our modern age of online groups. And I'm thankful for so much of what technology has offered us. It has been life-giving in so many ways. It has been helpful in so many ways. But at the same time, I want us to be sure that as we set out to learn what God has for us in his word about community, that we should be aware of maybe some of the way our modern minds might have different assumptions or expectations about what community is because of our regular use of technology. And, of course, the purposes of this sermon, I'm going to be using community not in an online sense. And I'm not trying to single out our online viewers or or exclude you. I just want to make sure we're clear because the word community can mean so many different things in our modern age. The reality is the effect of technology on our modern minds in regard to understanding community is profound. So, for instance, I I can't unpack all that. That would be be kind of its own own, uh, teaching session. But think of it this way. Um, how is it possible that we can feel that we know someone we follow on Instagram better than we do the people we gather with weekly to worship? How is it possible that that can actually be something that could be even present here in this room or in our church community? So I bring it up just to help us maybe be a little more honest with ourselves about where or how God might ask us to grow in our understanding and our obedience in regards to Christian community. It's probably good to start by asking, how does the Bible define community? Well, interestingly enough, the word, the English word community is not found in our English Standard Version. doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't say anything about the concept of community. Of course, we understand that. There are other words that the scriptures use to describe the idea of community. 
And the Greek term that stands behind community is the Greek term koinonia. And that word means sharing a common life with others. That's really the Greek term that stands behind our English understanding of community, sharing a common life with others. The English word that is translated in our English Standard Version for that Greek term is the English word fellowship. So as you look through your Bible and you see the word fellowship, not every time, but often, that term fellowship is the, is the translation of the Greek term koinonia, which stands behind the idea of uh, community. So this morning, I'm going to be using the word fellowship, the word community synonymously. They're interchangeable. And I'm using those terms in, in connection with relationship. Because we understand that in order for there to be a community, we're talking about the intersection of our relationships one with another, all right? Not really talking about the community of you and yourself and I, all right? We're talking about the community we share together as a people. What comes to mind then when you hear the word fellowship? It could mean all sorts of things, a little or a lot. Sometimes the word fellowship is used to describe the basic social activity, uh, such as the light and pleasant chit-chat. We just kind of had some good fellowship. That's part of fellowship, of course, but the scripture is giving us a much richer and deeper expectation for Christian community. And where do we see that? Acts chapter 2. That's why I had you turn there this morning. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is the verse that we have attached to our core value of community here with Highlands Baptist Church. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The word fellowship there is the Greek term koinonia, which is our term that describes Christian community. Now, as you look at that list in Acts 2.42, it probably isn't surprising for us that the Christians here in this first century were giving focused attention to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to communion, to breaking bread and observing communion together. But does it seem strange that they gave focused attention to the fellowship? Would it seem strange for these Christians to give focused attention and for it to be recorded in the scriptures if fellowship was nothing more than the lighthearted Christian chit-chat and pleasantries? Well, I think it would be odd, right, if that's what it was. So I think then the answer then about what is Christian fellowship, what is going on here, it's something much more substantial than just lighthearted chit-chat about the weather or about sports or about the, you know, the car that you have in the shop. It has something much more substantial in mind. And I think you'd say, well, what then does does the Scriptures have in mind then? The answer to that, I believe, is found when we understand that fellowship is not a distinctly separate activity from what else is in that verse, this other list of activities, the apostles' teaching and the prayer and communion. These weren't isolated events. They're not silos. So they kind of were, okay, we're in communion mode, and they were just doing that. Okay, we're in prayer mode, we're just doing that. I believe that what is happening here is that the fellowship of the Christians in Acts 2 was occurring as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and as they prayed together and as they, they celebrated and remembered uh, the, the crosswork of Christ and his resurrection and his promise of return in communion. And so what I'm trying to say here is that I believe that the fellowship described in Acts 2.42 is showing, it's demonstrating the deep spiritual emphasis of Christian community. Acts 2.42 shows us a group of Christians that went beyond the light pleasantries and chit-chat of their temporal issues of life, and, they, and the focus and their depth of connection was anchored in the, not the things of this world, but in the world to come. Their spiritual fellowship focused on a shared worship and Christian doctrine. So as we think about Christian community, I just want us to realize that, sadly for some Christians, they have a very difficult time for getting beyond the temporal things of this life. 
And part of that is that's the world we live in. We live in a world of temporal things and we engage with our neighbors and our counterparts and in our employment and on and on in our, in our sectors and marketplace in that sphere. And the church then really is kind of an odd, we're kind of an odd group because we are gathered together not because of our temporal issues but because of the spiritual realities that we enjoy. So for example, I don't want you to think that, well, okay, we're going to have a coffee connect time after the service and we're all going to be like, what do we say to each other now? Because we're not supposed to talk about that stuff. No, we can. And we should because we are sharing those things. It's okay to talk about the weather, the cloudy sky out there. We are, it's part of our common shared life together. But what the scriptures are showing us is that the Christians enjoy a depth of community that goes beyond that, deeper than that. And that should be ordinary in the Christian community. True Christian community is enjoyed when we share a common life together around spiritual realities. Christian community is occurring when we help each other in our spiritual relationships with one another and with God. So that's what the scriptures are talking about when it describes Christian community with the term fellowship. How else does the scripture describe it? Well, there's another word that is translated, that translates the Greek term koinonia, and it's the English word partnership. You find this in a couple of places. The one I'm going to focus our attention on this morning is Philippians chapter 1. Paul is saying to these Christians, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Here's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So if fellowship describes the relationship of community, the term partnership describes the activity of community. We understand that? Fellowship is describing this rich relationship that we share of our common life around spiritual realities. Then partnership is describing the activity that we share in our common pursuit together as God's people. So community in the scriptures isn't something that we just consume. It is something that we get to engage in together, according to the scriptures. Community is sharing a common life around a common spiritual pursuit. So, by the way, one of the ways at Highlands Baptist Church, one of our strategies to live out this core value of community is through home groups. Home groups is not just kind of Christian busyness. It really is, is strategic in how we are setting out to accomplish our, our mission of displaying God's glory and by incorporating these core values, one of them being community. Home groups is an intentional, deliberate part of our schedule where we are setting out to share life together around spiritual realities. In home groups, we help each other with our spiritual relationships towards one another and toward God. We're aiming to serve together. We want to encourage each other in our evangelistic efforts to spread the fame of Jesus to those that do not know him in Jesus Christ. So as a member of Highlands, one of the richest ways that you can enjoy Christian community is first by, by participating in our gathered worship, yes, but also by participating in a home group. And, and by the, this isn't meant to guilt those that aren't able to do it. I know there's all sorts of reasons with schedules and availability, so please understand that. It's not that you're a disobedient Christian if you're not part of home group. If we don't have a thou shalt attend home group in our Bibles, okay? But I just want you to realize how this fits into our overarching purpose as a church. It's deliberate. It's strategic in how we do this. And it's helpful because really, unless we schedule something like that in our modern busy age, it likely won't happen. And we understand that. There's a weakness in all of us in our busy modern age. So we have decided to pursue home groups as a way to set community and to purpose, be purposeful about helping each other display the glory of God in our lives, in our neighborhoods and communities. 
So by the way, as you're involved in home group, you might gather on a, on a whenever your home group meets, Saturday or a Sunday or a weekday, whenever your group meets, and you might think, man, is this really worth it? Is there anything important happening here? I mean, really? I mean, it's, I could be you know, at home watching a Netflix or I could be cutting the grass or doing something else, and here I am doing this. Does it really matter? Friends, it matters. Press on. Because in time, through shared life together around spiritual truths, the depth of community that God is forming in us will be compelling. It will be, and it is. So Christian community defined then is this idea of fellowship, this relationship we share around spiritual realities, and this partnership, this activity we engage in together toward a common pursuit. So then you might be asking, well, what then is our common pursuit? Well, the answer to that is found in our mission statement. We exist to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. That's our common pursuit that we are engaging in together through community. So then how does community help us display God's glory? If all of this is connected, right, how then can community help us display God's glory? The answer to that is found in our second point for the sermon. The gospel is the foundation of true community. The gospel is the foundation. And the gospel is all about the praise and the, of God's glory. And, you can, and that's proven in Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 12 and 14, and on through the rest of that, the, that, that story, and really through the entirety of the New Testament. The gospel is the foundation of Christian community. Therefore, really, as we engage in community, we are putting the gospel on display. 1 John chapter 1. I want you to hear how the, how the Apostle John uses the term fellowship, koinonia, community, here in this passage. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In this passage, John is telling us that the community that we share together as Christians is built on the foundation of our fellowship, of our community with God through Jesus Christ. So it sets Christian community apart from all other communities that might be present in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our world, is that Christian community shares in something unique together. We share in a shared life together in Jesus Christ. We share in a common spiritual identity in Christ. That's what makes us unique. Another place that shows us how the, script, the scriptures show that Christian community is anchored, its, found, its foundation is the gospel as in Romans chapter 12, Paulette read it for us this morning in verses 4 and 5. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body, but here's the key terms, in Christ. We're not just a political body or an ideological body or, or, or whatever other body you want to call it. You know, we're just, we just love camping or, or you fill in the blank. We're just kind of all hobbyists, sport car enthusiasts or fill, needlework you know, that's not what we're one body in. We're one body in Christ. That's the defining characteristic. That shows us the nature of Christian community in the scriptures. So then, Paul describes that Christian community as one body in Christ. It means that we are brought together. The foundation of the community that we share is in Jesus, in the gospel. Another passage, okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, which shows us the foundation of Christian community, where Paul says, God is faithful. By whom you, and by the way, that's a plural you there. That's a y'all, okay, if you're Southerners. God is faithful by whom y'all were called into the fellowship, into the community of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
It's, by the way, it's remarkable that Paul says that to the Corinthian Christians because as you keep reading that letter, you discover that the church in Corinth had deep issues of disunity and disagreement within itself. And yet Paul starts his letter to those Christians by highlighting and remembering, causing them to remember the community, the fellowship they share is in Jesus Christ. Even though there were fractures and disagreements in that church, what brought them together as a Christian community is their shared identity in Christ. So, in other words, Christian community transcends sharing in the common stuff of life because at a spiritual level, it shares in the stuff of the next life, this life that we have in Jesus. Christians share a calling into a fellowship with one another because we share in a common fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the message of the gospel, by the way. If, if you're not a Christian, what, what, I'm, what we're talking about this morning, what we've been singing about, what you've heard in our prayers, what you've heard read from the scriptures, is all about the story of how God is able to have a fellowship, relationship with people. How we as people can have a community, a fellowship with him and therefore with one another. Being a Christian does not mean you just do religious things or pretend or act religious. Being a Christian means you turn from your love affair with sin and embrace the forgiveness of God that he offers you through Jesus Christ. When that happens, when you embrace Jesus, treasure him in your soul by faith, you accept him by faith, what happens is you are re- you're delivered from the eternal condemnation of your sin and you are brought into fellowship, into relationship, into community with God. And as a result of that, you're also brought into fellowship, into community with his people. And all of that is anchored around the great saving acts that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, that's why Christians are obnoxious about Jesus. We keep singing about him and praying about him and praising him and talking about him. Why? Because that's who we have life in. That's what brings us together as a people. So then, there's no greater joy for us as a people than to see those that don't know Christ come to know him as their savior. And if that's you, we want to encourage you to keep coming to Highlands because our promise is we will keep preaching Christ to you. Keep talking to your friend that that invited you to come so you can keep learning about Jesus and what he's done and who he is so that you can share in the joy of knowing Christ. So then, the fact that the gospel is the foundation for Christian community is very, very important. I know this is something we would mentally say, oh yeah, sure, okay. And yeah, we're Christians and we're all about this gospel and Jesus thing, sure. But it's very important. Let me explain this to you, okay? This might sound a little nerdy, but it's helpful, okay? There is both a subjective and an objective aspect to relationships, right? Because community is all about the relationships that we share with one another because of our relationship with God. There is both a subjective and an objective aspect to relationships. Subjective means it's based on or influenced by feeling. Objective means it's not based or influenced by feeling. It's fact-based. Okay? Too often, we focus on the subjective feelings of a relationship to the neglect or diminishment of the objective facts. Okay, this is all going to make sense in just a minute, so just hang with me, okay? Subjective feelings are important. They're valuable, but they're not primary. And I, I have to say this because we live in an age that is saying the opposite. It is saying feelings is all that matters. Objective facts are kind of... Are, uh, subjective feelings overrule objective facts. And I want to remind us that the scriptures say it's the other way around. And this is a good thing, by the way. The objective facts of a relationship are primary. And this hits us sideways in our post-romantic age, our secular modern society, where the world around us is telling us feelings is all that matters. So you say, well, how does this mean? Subjective, objective, how does this have anything to do with us as Christians in community with God? Here's two illustrations that I hope will help us, okay? 
Take the example of marriage. And, and by the way, I realize for some of us, this example of marriage is going to be a painful illustration. And I'm not trying to be mean or cause you pain in this illustration. I think you'll still see the truth of it, even if you have to gaze through pain because of your experience in marriage. But I think the illustration still holds true. Uh, I'm in a relationship with Shannon Walker. Here's the illustration, okay? I'm not preaching something here. I'm in a relationship with Shannon Walker. The objective fact about that relationship is I'm married to her. She is married to me. Nearly 18 years ago, our friends and family witnessed Shannon and I pledge vows of Christian marriage before God. The objective reality of a relationship is we are husband and wife. Now, there have been a variety of subjective experiences through the nearly 18 years of what it means to be husband and wife. There have been up, there have been downs, but whatever the subjective relationship might be at any given time, the objective reality of the relationship remains unchanged. We are married, we are husband and wife. And so much of the depth of our shared life together has grown out of the objective fact of that relationship. We are husband and wife. The loyalty, the commitment, the service, the sacrifice, on and on it goes, is born out of that objective fact. That is true about Christian community as well. Think of another illustration. Think of um, between the objective and subjective facts of a relationship. Think of what it means to be a parent. And, and again, to those who are not married or, or are not a parent or, or do not have children and this is a, a cause of pain for you, again, I, I'm not trying to choose an illustration that is going to be difficult. I'm trying to choose illustrations that I think all of us will understand even if we don't have children because you at some point were a child. Okay? So think back then. Think about this. A parent, right? You bring home this little baby from the hospital. Terrifying, right? This little life that is entirely dependent on you. For years, this new family member, this new family member doesn't do anything for you other than take. They take your time, your energy, your sleep, your schedule, your money, your weekend plans, and you could keep on adding to that list. And if you are expecting a baby and I've just terrified you, it's okay. We've all been, those of us that are parents have all been in this terrifying experience. But the objective fact of the relationship is you are a parent. And because of that objective fact, you have a variety of subjective feelings about that relationship. There are times when you can just stare in wonderment and awe at this little person. And I don't know why, but you can. You can just stare at a baby. It's, you don't get tired of it. But there are other times when you are so deeply exasperated and at your wit's end in the relationship. Yet in time, over the years, as you keep living out of the objective fact of your relationship, you are the parent, father or, or mother, you eventually realize that because you've engaged in sacrificial acts of love toward that child for so long through the years that your heart is inextricably woven around them. Which means this, here's the result, that even if they're as a, as a teenager or as an adult, they were to break your heart or abandon your love or turn their back on you, You'd carry on in love toward them, not because of the subjective feeling, but because of the objective fact that you have lived out that has cemented your soul with them. There's a difference between the objective fact and the subjective realities of a relationship. The same is true for Christian community. Christian community is often action before it is feeling. It often requires sacrifice when you don't have the feeling, but it shows something worthwhile and glorious in what God is making in Christian community. If you want to enjoy deep community, spend your efforts and time and energy in community now. You're like, well, I don't feel it. Keep plugging away at it. Keep serving in it. You're like, well, that sounds very boring and dry and unloving and very unromantic. 
It's glorious and wonderful and deep and rich. And trust God. Trust what Jesus says, that it is better to give than to receive. Sometimes, right? Don't be, don't be too quick to make decisions about community. Over time, you will be surprised at what God does in you and in those with whom you are building community with in time. So don't be too quick to make decisions about their feelings. Sometimes we get along with each other just fine. It's great, right? I'm talking about in Highlands Baptist Church community here. Other times, we might exasperate and frustrate each other. Sometimes we need to forgive each other. Sometimes we need to suffer long with each other. So then you say, well, why do Christians stay in community with each other when it can hurt and cost us so much? Because the objective reality is that we are united together in Christ. That's why. There is a glory in Him that is bigger than the glory of our feelings at any given time. There's a glory of what He's done. And we have a fellowship one with another subjectively because we share in a fellowship with God objectively. And that gives God glory. And folks, the world needs to see that glory. And and the world should see it in His church, in our expression of community. So, this kind of community is compelling. It's kind of upside down. It doesn't make real sense when the world around is like, why in the world do you guys stick together? You don't really have much in common, just kind of an everyday life. And why are you still committed? And you let you, you forgive and you put up with this and you're exasperated and you give that time and energy. You give them your money? What? They're just, what is going on here? What's compelling is there's a glory of God in Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel that has so captured us and united us together. It keeps us that way, even through the rough and tumble of the, of the nitty gritty of life. So then, what are we supposed to do with all this? I'm going to end by doing some practical applications about Christian community here at Highlands. Uh, I'm going to try to make this worthwhile for us. I'm going to try to make this kind of the truth that we've looked about, a fellowship, which is the relationship of community, and the partnership, which is the activity of community, and our shared pursuit of the glory of God. Okay, The gospel is the foundation of our community. What can this look like then? So, here again with Highlands, I'm just going to read how we state community. You can see it there in your worship guide. Showing Jesus to one another through caring relationships, mutual accountability, and loving acts of service. Showing Jesus to one another. Friends, this has to be how we measure the, the health of our community. We must measure the sense of our community to the extent that we show Jesus to one another. And I just want to put this up in front of us again because this is what we've, we're, we've banded together to do. We, in community, really our aim is we want to show Jesus to one another. And there's various ways we can do that. And of course, that list isn't exhaustive. They're, you know, about caring relationships, mutual accountability, and loving acts of service. That's not exhaustive, but that certainly would be representative of most things we can do. But friends... Community here has to be measured to the extent that we show Jesus to one another, not to the warm feelings of affection you might experience at at certain times. But how much are we showing Jesus to one another? Now, will that include warm feelings of affection? Yes. Yes. But not all the time. Maybe not every time. Of course, it's going to be obvious we're going to fail often in this too, right? Because none of us are Jesus. We're trying to show Jesus to, other, to each other, but we're going to do that imperfectly all the time. And you might say, well, forget it. I'm done with church. Friends, no, no, no. Jesus is worth it. It's worth seeing glimpses of Christ in one another by his grace over time as we share life together. But I just want us to be, realize that communi- Christian community is going to be messy. 
It is going to be messy. I, I don't know, I'm not looking at anyone particular as I think this, but there's probably a variety of, of, of experiences going on right now. Look at the ceiling so you don't think I'm looking at any one of you. There's probably a variety of experiences going on in this room right now in your expression of how you feel about Highlands Baptist Church in the sense of community. Maybe it's rich and warm and wonderful. Great. Maybe it's not. Hang in there, friends. Christian community is messy. Look at the community that Jesus had around him during his earthly ministry. I mean, everyone that was close to him abandoned him. And he marched forward in Christian community, sealing Christian community with the covenant of his blood. So friends, it's going to be costly, it's going to be challenging, it's going to, but it's going to be worth it. It will be worth it. And Jesus is not asking anything from us that he hasn't already done himself. And let's remember that. We are not the trailblazers in Christian community. You're, we're not the ones that are, I've suffered so much for God and his church. Yes, you may have suffered, and the church can, can have abuses and, and, and can hurt people. I understand that, yes. But friends, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul actually uses Jesus as the example, as the foundation for what is necessary in Christian community. Philippians 2, Paul writes this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's a good word of Christian community having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What are the threats to that kind of community? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You say, well, where's Jesus in any of this? It just sounds like we've got to do, do, do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's where Jesus is. And then the passage goes on and and describes the mind of Jesus. You can keep reading that on your own. So friends, as we pursue Christian community together, as we seek to show Jesus to one another, we must keep a firm gaze on Christ for the strength and the resources to deeply commit to one another and to live unselfishly toward each other in these ways. By the way, there's a whole piece that we could have explored. I didn't just for sake of time about how community for us as people, it really is anchored in the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That we are people that are made for covenantal commitment with other people. We're made for this because we're image bearers of God. So it means one of the best things that you can do then as a member of Highlands Baptist Church in regard to community, to promoting healthy community here is to be a Christian who is growing in their knowledge and love and enjoyment of Jesus. Do that. Be a member who is determined to keep growing in your love and enjoyment and knowledge of Jesus because inasmuch as you are doing that, you will be able to show Jesus to others in community. The more we have the mind of Christ toward one another, the healthier our sense of community will be. Think about it. How has Jesus loved you? How has Jesus cared for you? How has Jesus served you? And again, our, our earthbound minds often think in temporal, physical areas. And there are ways that God has done that in your life. He's provided in many ways for us physically, yes, but I want for you then to consider a whole other sphere of provision that is often overlooked in our secular age. It's the spiritual riches that he has lavished upon us in the grace of God. You have been forgiven of your sin. You cannot buy that at Home Depot. He's justified you, which means he's declared you righteous. He's given you his righteousness, a real righteousness, not, not 
theoretical, but the real righteousness of Jesus that we saw in the Scriptures as He lived here on earth, He's given that to you entirely as a gift. Again, you can't find that online at Amazon. There are the things that are the deepest and richest that you enjoy are the spiritual realities that you have in Christ. So at Highlands, we are going to be measuring community in as much as we are showing Jesus to one another. And that means that some of us just need to start looking at Jesus a lot more and less at other things so that we can then show Jesus to one another. Who can you show Jesus to this week through caring relationships? Let's be practical, right? It's easy to sit through a sermon and think, oh, it sounds great. You know, thanks, Pastor Sean. I love the ideas that the Scriptures has there. And we go on and our lives are unchanged at all. So friends, who can you show Jesus to this week through caring relationships? Who in this church family can you get to know so you can help them follow Jesus? That's the mutual accountability. Some of you should be thinking about people in your home group that you can really focus in on to help. Or maybe there's people outside of your home group that you don't know, a new face during a Coffee Connect time. Who are you? And tell me about your story about Christ. And listen so that you can pray for them. And by the way, I want to commend this church family for doing so well at so much of this. I don't want you to hear, do, 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 more, more, more. You're bad, bad, bad. That is not at all. The elders here are thankful for the community that God has, has given this church family. We hear from guests that attend, and if this is not your experience as a guest, we apologize. That's the exception. But ordinarily, we hear, often hear from guests who attend how blessed they were by, the, by all of you, by this church family. How well cared for they felt, that's subjective, by you, which was the objective acts that you were doing towards them. And church family, we want to commend you and strengthen those efforts. It may be simple little things that you aren't even aware of, but those simple little things of showing Jesus to one another really go a long way over time especially. So I want to commend you in that. Keep leaning into that. This kind of Christ-centered community is what makes Christian community so compelling. I know I've said this before. I've used the word compelling before. But think of it, friends. We are not drawn together because of our income bracket, our politics, our social rank, our social influence, our educational choices, our ethnicity, and you can keep making the list go on and on. The Christian community is compelling because we engage in loving relationships with mutual accountability and acts of service because we are united in Jesus Christ. That is our shared identity. So, at the beginning of the sermon... I mentioned that current cultural forces were working against some of the questions, some of the ways that we think about community, some of the, our, our expectations about how we live in a modern technological age, and of course, the heightened individualism and so forth, and on and on we could go, right? What sinful tendencies might you find within yourself that work against Christian community? Maybe you need to repent of selfishness. Maybe you're lazy. Are you more irritated by the inefficiencies of church community or more inspired by the beauty of Christ as you see him drawing together a people for his name? Or maybe you're just hypocritical. Do you excuse and accommodate your own weakness in community while at the same time holding others to an exacting standard for community? Do you bemoan a lack of community while not lifting a finger of effort or sacrifice or commitment to promote community? I want to caution us against the temptation of thinking if there's an issue that we have in our experience of community that, the issue, that there's a problem out there. That's the problem when we think the problem is out there. In other words, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, right? We are all creatures of our culture to varying degrees, right? Even the things that we decry in our culture, those forces are pressing on us a lot. 
and we're accustomed to endless options and endless entertainments. We can customize our playlist, our watch list, our friend list, and our news feed. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we expect to come into the church community and have it to our exacting specifications or preferences. And then we stumble. Friends, perhaps Christian community is valuable in part because it fights against these self-absorbed tendencies. Because it cha- we're challenged at, whoa, they're kind of weird. Why, why am I getting along with them? Why am I going to put up with them? Because Jesus had brought you together from every tribe and tongue and people as a people for his glory. So Christian, by the way, Christian community requires the fruit of the Spirit, not the Spirit of our age. So, a word picture that comes to mind here in conclusion about community, okay? And if word pictures don't work for you, just, just sit through this one. Well, maybe it'll help. Uh, you think of marbles, right? There's a difference between marbles and water droplets. Marbles are, you know, you, you, you flick on at, at one another and they hit and they ricochet off. Christian community, we are not like marbles that just happen to all roll into the same room for this moment and we're going to kind of ricochet and go out and ricochet off into our, into our own lives again. Christian community is look, looks more like water droplets. You put two water droplets close enough and they join. And you put enough droplets together and you have something enormous and breathtaking, an ocean. But God is doing something in Christian community, not with water, but with blood. God is doing something breathtaking by making a community of redeemed sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he did it with his atoning blood. The blood of Jesus is what unites us. And our community then is anchored into showing one another Jesus. Jesus strengthens us. He leads us. And the more we enjoy that community now, the better we will be able to enjoy Christian community for all eternity. I'll ask the music team to come up as they get ready to lead us in our final song. While they come up, I'm going to give us just some time to quietly reflect on community. What truth from God's Word? And Again, we just looked at a sampling of it. There's a lot more that we could unpack from the Scriptures. But was there a truth from God's Word that pricked your heart, convicted you with a need to grow a sin to repent of, a perspective that you've lost or need to regain. Maybe there's something that you can just do practically, a commitment of time or money or resources or your home. Some way your life can be reordered around this, this core value as we strive to pursue displaying God's glory together.